welcome to the first episode of season two of the UMC Lead Podcast. Yes, friends, we're back again after a great uh, season one that ended right before UMC Lead 2017, which took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. We had a great conference and uh, just some really amazing speakers. And actually, those talks, uh, most of them, or about half of them, are available now online at umclead.net. And over the next uh, month or so, we'll be releasing the rest of those talks. So this is a great time for content and UMC Lead between the podcast and some of our talks. We're also uh, digging out some of our talks from the archives and getting them back up uh, on the website. So we hope you'll head over and check it out. You'll also see on the website that we've announced the dates for Lead 2018, which will be held um, in January in Denver, Colorado. So you'll want to head over to the website again and check it out and subscribe to our newsletter so you can be the first to know about when our speaker applications open up and when our early bird uh, registration opens up. Uh, our early bird registration is is the best deal uh, on the conference. If uh, you register within the, the first uh, month there, you can uh, save some uh, great money. The conference is a great deal anyway, but the early bird re registration is a really, really good deal. So here we are, season two, episode one, and we're going to be doing some things a little bit different this season. Uh, in 2013, LEAD was in its second year, and we were at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We were able to utilize a really nice theater, and we had um, a video crew that came in and donated their time and their services, and we were able to get some real um, high-quality uh, video uh, from that conference, and that video is available uh, online at umclead.net, and it will also be uh, embedded with each podcast episode from Season 2 that goes up on the site. So, um, kind of cool. We're able to uh, include uh, the talk in this uh, episode and in um, every episode for Season 2. Uh, another thing we're doing is uh, we're talking to some sponsors uh, this season. This is a little bit of an experiment, so some episodes will have some uh, sponsor spots that are, um, some are going to be longer, some are going to be uh, shorter. We're just experimenting uh, with some stuff, and we're trying not to just put in some advertisements, but really um, have you understand who our sponsors are and, and, and what they do. Um, those folks are going to include our Global Board of uh, General Board of Global Ministries Center for Mission Innovation, uh, which uh, David Logeman will be on um, today's episode uh, talking about their work. Uh, other sponsors are uh, Missional Wisdom Foundation, uh, GBHEM, uh, and more. So you'll hear uh, from them uh, throughout the season in different formats. So on today's episode, uh, I have Sarah Heath, who was one of our speakers in 2013. Uh, Sarah is currently serving as a pastor uh, at a United Methodist Church in Costa Mesa, California, doing kind of a cool restart revitalization there. She also uh, just launched a book that we talk about in the interview, uh, but this episode didn't quite make it out before uh, the book came out, so we talk about it uh, launching soon. It has indeed launched, um, launched just a couple days ago on uh, April 18th, and we hope you'll check it out. Well, that's all I have for now. Um, again, welcome to season two. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, hi. 
Hi, I'm Sarah Heath, and as uh, they shared, I am indeed a site teaching and preaching pastor. Let's get the first question out of the way. Yes, I'm old enough. In fact, I've been doing this for a while. So let me tell you a story that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. I was on a flight, and on this flight, I noticed that there were all these soldiers. And as they sat down, uh, the usual thing happened. It was late at night. One of them sat beside me, and the question comes, so what do you do? Now, sometimes, uh, depending on where I am, I think through, uh, how do I want to answer this? Do I want to be honest? Do I want to say, well, um, you know, I work with people? That's a good one, by the way. I work with people, and, um, or I'm an insurance agent. Nobody talks to you after you say, I'm an insurance agent. So I said, uh, actually, I work at a church. He stood up, and he said, guys, don't worry. There's a nun on the plane. <laughs> What about me, says none. I kept thinking, like, what am I? So now when I get on a plane, I make sure I'm dressed fancy just in case. So that's people outside of the church. But what about my own colleagues? Well, there is this uh, parking spot, and it is right in front of the hospital that I visit quite often, the clergy-only parking spot. So it was uh, one day I had a, a... parishioner who was in there, you see, who was having sort of uh, these heart problems, and they weren't sure if they're going to have to do surgery or not, so I pulled my Mini Cooper right into, I know, when you're small, you drive a small car, I pulled right into the clergy-only parking, and I'm getting all my stuff together, and this sweet man walks towards me, and he says, sorry, sweetheart, this is for pastors, and I turned, and I said, hi, I'm Reverend Sarah Heath, (laughs) and in that moment, he said, really? And I said, really? (laughs) But it isn't just other people. The truth is, I love not being known as a pastor. As a creative person, sometimes that is my identity. I like to say, well, I'm not that. I'm not that type of pastor. Have you ever done that? Or I'm not that kind of Christian, right? Like, if people find out you're a Christian or a leader in your church, and you say, well, I'm not that kind, And so we spend a lot of time focusing on what we are not. I was in a conference, and I I stood up, and I said, here's the deal. I'm all these things. I'm an actress. I'm a a writer. I'm I'm someone who creates art, and and I'm a pastor, and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not good at administration, and I don't love um, finance meetings, and um, all these. And I go on and on and on. and, And the person leading it who's become a mentor of mine said, stop. Sarah, who you are is interesting. Who you are not is not interesting. Friends, we come from a denomination that I am passionate about and that I love, but for so long and too much, we focus on what we are not. So if we are going through, um, and I can say this because I finished my ordination boards, but when we're, (laughs) yeah, on the other side, um, We have a lot of people who um, don't know that they can be themselves in ministry. Talk about an example of this. When I was commissioned, which simply means for those of you who aren't UMCers, it's kind of our pre-ordination. It's kind of our test pilot. Um, It's our first date. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, Testing us out. And so I was uh, getting commissioned, which has a lot of pomp and circumstance. We wear our white robes, by the way. Uh, walking down an aisle in a white dress that way was not what I thought was going to come first. But here I am in that. The night before that, 
I had been in a film that made it into the LA Film Fest. So my parents fly in town to see me commissioned, and I'm like, oh, by the way, uh, there's a little thing I got to do on a red carpet. Can you come? For so long, I lived those two lives, artist over here, and then the next morning putting on the robe and that over here. Friends, I'm here to tell you that your job is to be you. Who you are is interesting. The things about you, whether clergy or not, have been put into your life because God wants to use them. That creative nudge that you feel inside of you as I speak right now, that freedom that you're starting to feel is important because who you are is who God wants you to be. Your job is to be you. See, the problem comes when I try to be a pastor. I can't be a pastor. I can't play the role of a pastor, but I can be me as a pastor. My face and who I am can only be expressed by who I am. See, my job is to be me. Now, I recently read an article. It was from the United Kingdom that said there are top five things that people regret on their deathbed. Do you know what number one was? Number one was not being true to who they really are. Number one was listening to what other people wanted them to be. There was once a rabbi, and this rabbi had had this vision where he had died, and when he awoke, God was there, and he said, God, I am so sorry that I wasn't David or Moses. And God says, stop, stop, stop. What I'm sorry about is that you weren't more you. Put into more uh, recent terms. I found this on the internet, which we all know everything that's on the internet is true. Um, When you get to heaven, God is not going to ask you why you weren't like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, or Bono. He's likely to ask you, he or she, is likely to ask you why you weren't more like you. Your responsibility and source of real freedom and success is to discover who you are. Lead with your own unique talents and personality. Be authentically you and let God use you. It's difficult in a system where it feels like you can't always be you, but listen to that inner God voice that says, I put these things into you for a reason. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Friends, whether you consider yourself a pastor or not, we are all pastors. We all have people who are looking to us when we are publicly known as Christians. And so you need to be able to be you, but be you as a believer. Guess what? You can only be you. As Oscar Wilde says, everyone else is taken. (laughs) There's not an opportunity for us to be anyone else. Now let me tell you about a temptation that I know all of us have. You ever gone to a conference of any kind and you hear someone speak and you think, oh, I should be that pastor? Maybe, or I should be that leader, or I should be that person, or maybe, oh, associate pastors, let me see a head shake. Your lead pastor goes to a conference and hears what they're doing there and decides that that's going to work here. So they come back and you're like, but we're not Rick Warren, dude. I mean, there is this... 
you don't look good in Hawaiian shirts. Um, there is this sense where we often think who I am is not good enough, and so I need to be something else. That's not what this talk is about. People get it wrong all the time. I'll never forget, yeah, I have this worship service that we built. It was really unique. They asked me to talk about it at our annual conference. I talked about it, and the first thing I said is, you need to contextualize you know, what you're doing. And so as I said this to this woman, and I went through the whole talk, and then I had those, one of those moments where you're like, do you listen to anything I said, this woman comes up to me and says, you know, a service at 11 o'clock isn't going to work for us because we have so many surfers. No, I, I don't want you, what? I don't want you to take my service my exact same time and do it. No, see, who you are is interesting. Who you are not is not interesting. Your job is to be you, and guess what? You can only be you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that freeing? That's me. That's me with a super awesome bowl cut. <laughs> when I was little, I wasn't afraid to be me, right? Everyone, if they're being raised in a healthy environment, thinks they are the greatest thing ever, and they're capable of anything. I recently heard an expert on um, education talking about how we kill that out of kids. Kids stop being able to believe that they can do anything. He said there was this little girl who was frantically coloring in the corner. And the teacher walked over and said, what are you drawing? And the little girl said, well, I'm drawing God. And the teacher said, I'm sorry, sweetie. No one knows what God looks like. She said, don't worry, they will in a minute. <laughs> you have to give up your fear of being wrong. Every artist learns that. If I were afraid to create and paint because what if what I do isn't the best thing out there, wouldn't the woods be silent if only the birds that were the best sang? Right? God is giving you unique gifts and talents. They're not the same as mine, but they are beautiful and valuable, and the world needs it. So remember that little you at five that thought you could do anything. So the question becomes, who am I? If I want you to be authentically you, then the question is, who am I? And by that I mean, who are you? Who are you? What are the things that make you come alive? For me, when I am uh, in music environments or when I am painting or creating, that is for me when I am most with the creator and I am most myself. That is Sarah in the raw. So who are you? What makes you come alive? If it's finance, bless you. <laughs> if, it's, if it's whatever it is, if you're great at organizing, awesome. That's a ministry. Whatever it is, the authentic you is who the world needs you to be. There are people that you can reach that I cannot. The gospel needs to be something out of an authentic self because let me tell you, the world knows when you're lying. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But you first have to know what your heart is and what your soul is, and then you got to go and use it. Friends, in this room, whether you are clergy or not, you are 
a pastor to a world that needs to hear your unique story, your unique creation, because who you are is interesting. We have to stop apologizing for who we are not. Leaders in the church that are in the room right now, it's okay to ask us to go to conferences to kind of work on our growing edges, but what if we focused on using people's gifts to grow the church? What if we put people in places where their strengths and abilities would grow bigger and bigger instead of focusing on the places that they are not good? Who you are is interesting. Your job is to be you. You cannot be anyone else but you, and you are a pastor. Thank you. My guest this week is the Reverend Sarah Heath. How's it going, Sarah? It's good. We are making it. Awesome. So you are currently the lead pastor at First UMC Costa Mesa. That's true. As at least last week when I checked. As of over. last week. I saw the yeah. bishop last week. He didn't seem to think I was moving. So I think we're good. Excellent. But they're bishops and they they've they actually take classes on how to not tip their hand to pastors they're moving. So that's true. Yeah. That's, that's true. it just in case anyone believed me, I that was a that was a lie. Fake news. <laughs> Um, so it's really cool having you on and you were, uh, one of our speakers at lead 2012, which was our second lead conference. It was in Las Vegas. It was probably our fanciest lead conference because, uh, where were we? We were at UNLV university, Uh Nevada, Las Vegas. And we had that really cool, like theater we used and Uh a nice stage and like professional cameras and everything. So, um, Unlike last season when I tortured people by making them like recap their talks and they couldn't go back and actually know what they talked about. So, um, but we know, you know what you talked about. Um, I do know. Yeah. Um, So let's not hold that back from our listeners anymore. Uh, What was the topic of your talk? So I think the topic of my talk, if you want to just summarize it, is really about authentic leadership. And which requires really knowing yourself. And so um, it was the title was kind of like, I am a pastor. Um, And sort of the idea being that I had spent so many years apologizing for the type of pastor that I wasn't or for the type of person that I wasn't instead of just sort of saying, yeah, like this is who I am and this is who God has made me to be. And um, you kind of can't be anyone else. So you got to really know yourself and you have to really be yourself within leadership. And I have this belief that God has created each of us um, just with this unique story that um, we are asked to live out. So that was kind of what I talked about. I talked about the power of being yourself within a structure that sometimes doesn't always suggest that that's good. You had this great, I think, unintentional, I don't know, maybe it was intentional. I I couldn't see the video of what happened before that. And I don't remember, but um, so the, like kind of the first thing you said on in the video is uh well yes i am a pastor and yes i am old enough yeah um, <laughs> you know do you yeah. still is that something um you still have to say yeah it's funny even though i am like i'm 12 years into this game i graduated from a seminary in 2005 and i've worked in full-time ministry ever since then um and i tell you what i 
have, uh, I don't know if it's just because I'm a, a woman, or I don't know if it's, I have a young face, I think. Um, and so people still, the other thing is, even though I'm in my mid to later 30s, um, is that within United Methodism, there's so many, so few of us, right? Like I went to a clergy 40 and under thing recently where we were considered young adults. Um, and so I nice. think there is this sense of like, well, you can't be a pastor. Um, but it, I don't experience it as much, um, I think, because people are, are kind of used to me now at this point. <laughs> um, I think it still shocks some people, mostly I think too, because I don't look like what a lot of people expect. So I don't know if it's just age. Um, I think it's also just, you know, um, who I am or what I embody, I think is a little like, I like to call it disarming, right? It's disarming a little bit. So yeah, I yeah. still have to defend my age, which I don't mind so much anymore. It's kind of nice. Right. I've definitely, I'm also in that awesome uh, mid to late thirties uh, stage. And now when people say you're, you're so, but you're so young and I'm like, thank you. You're yeah. so old. What? Yeah, I no, super yeah. appreciate it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah, in my late 20s and early 30s, I was super offended. And now I'm like, thank you. I'm also so thin, right? Yeah, just keep saying things yeah. that shock you about me. Right. <laughs> yeah, how incredibly good looking I am. I know. It's really off-putting, isn't it? <laughs> Make it's, me feel better. Yeah. It's, it's good times. It's good times. <laughs> but staying on that thread, like, what... What do you think, like, I've, I've noticed among our colleagues, like, being young clergy in an aging church, like, mm -hmm. that, you know, parishioners really struggle with that. What do you think is going on there? Well, I think the truth is, is we haven't done a very good job of bringing uh, new parishioners in. Mm. Uh, so I'm in a setting right now where we had, they... So I started in July and we are a relaunch. So the church itself had 17 to 27 year old, uh, 27 elderly uh, folks uh, worshiping, doing everything by the United Methodist book. We're talking like they even like until very recently had a UMW, um, which is the United Methodist women. And they just were playing everything by the book, but they were not growing. They didn't know why they weren't growing. They thought they weren't in a setting where there was houses, which was actually no, there's lofts right behind. Um, and the city itself has experienced this like huge urban renewal. So there's a lot of millennials. I'm actually born the year that the millennial started. So I'm the earliest millennial. Um, and so there's a lot of that in that area and um, even the co-working space I'm in. So we have all these people, but we don't know how to relate to them. What I'm finding really interesting is that my younger people are so supportive. They are the ones who are like, hey, like, can I step up and do that? Like, how can I, you know, and, and, and of me as a pastor and, um, you know, tonight there's a city council meeting, but I haven't been feeling so well. And one of our uh, folks who attends the church and volunteers, she puts all the uh, financial information to our database and she's new. She just started the church in um, probably in October, I think, or November. And she kind of said, hey, like, I'm worried about you can, is there, you know, is there someone else who can step in and go to this meeting? And it's just these incredible things where I don't think this generation and the generations that are coming are as concerned about age as our former, uh, our generations that are older. Um, so one of the things we're going to do as a church is um, in a couple of series, we're going to be talking about 
the differences in generational um, conversations, because I think it's one of these interesting things, just like the older folks really expect a certain thing from a pastor. And yet the, the younger folks, um, I, I'm just so surprised how supportive they are and um, how much they're willing to give you pastoral authority, authority in a way that like, I'm not sure people um, sort of recognize that a millennial would want to do. So it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, I think our congregations are aging up. And so as, as you know, like, what's our favorite thing to say when you meet someone, you're like, what are you, 12? Because like, right. I meet people and I'm like, how are you even driving? But I right. think that's what happens as we get older, people get younger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's been really interesting to me. Um, and I want to, I have a staff of uh, all non-Methodists, um, although three have joined the church, but I only actually, this is not true. My administrative assistant is, um, is in fact a lifelong Methodist, but she's um, pretty young. She's in her forties, but uh, I think it's interesting. The, the, the folks that are on my staff are very like, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. They're just incredibly always asking questions and like, well, why do we do it that way? Or, and it's so funny because I find myself saying things that are like so Methodist, like that's how we've always done them. And then I'm like, oh, Sarah, <laughs> like that's the voice, like that's the voice you don't want to hear and it's coming out of your own mouth. So, can you um, do Can you do that voice again, that impression that's again? That's how we always do it. I don't know why I talk like that whenever I'm <laughs> making my own stupid voice. That little voice inside my head sounds like that apparently. That's excellent. Um, nice. Um, so what do you, uh, with all that in mind, like in, in your head or in, in your life, uh, what do you see as your role as a pastor sort of versus what the world uh, thinks the role of a pastor is? It's really interesting because I think different, different parts of the world think like different um, stratospheres, even within American Christianity, see what a pastor is so differently. Um, one of the things that's really unique for us is that our church has experienced growth outside of the denomination. So it's experienced growth. Um, you know, we were, we're now worshiping, you know, most Sundays we're at 60 to 70, which is, um, really different than it's been there for quite a while. And, um, it's been a, a learning thing for me and for others that, um, the folks that are coming, they come because they have, we haven't done any sort of um, advertising yet, but they have either heard me on a podcast. I've been on um, a couple of podcasts that kind of have larger audiences. And um, it's been really interesting uh, that they've been. By like, the way, this, this podcast does not have larger audiences. It'll be like you, it'll be like you, me and Brandon Lazarus and perfect. Uh, one other person. <laughs> yeah, Brandon. Well, who's my, uh, mom. my mom might listen, um, yeah. but I think it's, it's been interesting because I have always done and also, or they heard me speak at an event or whatever it might be. Um, I get asked to speak at conferences quite a bit. And um, for so long, I, I saw that as outside of my ministry, like, Oh, that's sort of building the brand of whatever I feel like the call in my life to, to the world is, you know? And so I, I would, I, and, I, and I felt that because I think older pastors had sort of, spoken into my life, like, it can't be about you, it has to be about the community, which I think is absolutely true. Um, but at the same time, I'm reminded that Jesus um, was attractional at first, and then it was the heart of the community that kept people. So um, I think I'm reminded that podcasts and 
um, speaking at events and just really being clear about who you are and what the message of the community itself is, um, is, is unique in that that's starting to grow our churches. And people are finding that really attractional. And um, because I think United Methodism has a great um, theology for the current generations. I'm on with David Logeman from the General Board of Global Ministries. Welcome, David. Thanks, Rob. Good to be here. Uh, David, why don't you take a, a moment and uh, let us know uh, what you do there um, at GBGM and, uh, and a little bit about the work you do. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, thanks so much uh, for having me on the on the podcast. Um, so I work for a brand new unit of Global Ministries uh, called the Center for Mission Innovation. Uh, Global Ministries has been going through a pretty significant amount of transition and change over the last uh, few years. Uh, part of that change is a move uh, from New York to our new headquarters here in Atlanta, where I'm based. Uh, but part of that also is uh, a restructuring and a reorganization, and really taking a, a fresh look at uh, the work to which we are called. Uh, the Center for Mission Innovation uh, is a brand new unit of global ministries. It was conceived as a part of this uh, broader sort of re-examination uh, of who we are and, and what we should be doing. And the Center for Mission Innovation has what I think is a pretty incredible mandate uh, from global ministries. We essentially function as uh, the research and development wing of global ministries. And so what that means is uh, we've been given an opportunity to kind of take a, a fresh and a new look at the work that global ministries uh, and also local congregations and United Methodist individuals all over the world uh, take a look at the work that we're already doing uh, and think about how we can improve that work. So uh, are there new best practices that we can uh, bring to bear on, on the work that we're doing around community organization or disaster response or public health? Um, and so it's a, it's a great time for us to have sort of a, a blank slate um, and the opportunity to come at our work with, with fresh eyes. Uh, a big part of that for us is not only turning inwardly and asking those questions amongst ourselves, uh, but building strategic partnerships and finding opportunities uh, for global ministries and for the Center for Mission Innovation uh, to connect with those outside of the four walls of the church, outside of our own institution, uh, and to learn from them. And so my specific job is to connect with uh, young adults, both United Methodists and those outside of the church, uh, and to learn from them, uh, to not necessarily assume that the church uh, should be teaching or providing resources or uh, sort of guiding the work that they are doing, but instead recognizing that the, the Spirit of God is already at work uh, in, in young adults all over the world in a variety of contexts. Uh, and so we get to create space, uh, create opportunities for their voices, which are oftentimes silenced or marginalized uh, or viewed as, as secondary or tertiary, uh, to kind of raise them to the forefront and to say, look, you have incredible insights, incredible knowledge to share with the church. Teach us what you know. Tell us what's happening in your local context uh, and allow us to learn from you. 
so again, it's a it's a pretty incredible mandate that we have. I absolutely love the work that I get to do here, uh, and I'm excited about where we'll be going in the future. So, David, how do um, how do people engage uh, with you guys? Um, you've talked about some exciting stuff there, and for folks who want to be supportive or, or get involved or maybe access some of the the work or resources uh, you're doing, um, what are the the avenues in which they do that? Yeah, we've got a, a few avenues that are already established. Uh, the first is a brand new website that just went live about two weeks ago. Uh, that website is centerformissioninnovation.org. Uh, and that website, we are hoping, uh, will serve several functions simultaneously. Uh, the first is we want to be able to share um the great uh, resources that we're able to collect and so that website will first serve in some ways as kind of a storing a storing house uh for just the the great insights the great work being done here at global ministries so we're beginning to to develop uh mission toolkits uh resources that local congregations uh that socially uh minded individuals can can access uh, and we're looking to grow those resources uh, all the time. So what we've got live right now uh, is pretty bare bones, but we will be adding to that uh, quite a bit in the in the months uh, the months ahead. Um, the other thing that we're hopeful that that website will do for us is that it will provide an opportunity, as I was saying a moment ago, uh, for young adults to use their own voices. And so uh, an invitation that I would love to make. Uh, to the folks listening to the podcast is we are always looking for new writers, for new partners to help us to develop those resources. So folks who are interested in in getting involved there can reach out to me. Uh, my email address is dlogeman, and that's L-O-G-E-M-A-N at umcmission.org. My contact information can also be found there on the website. Uh, but again, we are looking to uh, build partnerships to find new people with whom we can work, uh, especially on the uh, the website, developing those new resources. Well, David, thanks for uh, coming on today and for letting us know about the great work you're doing in the Center for uh, Mission Innovation and uh, um, how folks uh, can get involved. Uh, we wish you uh, many blessings uh, on the work ahead, and also uh, thank you uh, and your organization so much for your support of UMC LEAD. Thanks so much, Rob. Appreciate you. All right. Take care. I think people are really surprised that the current um, generations around um, are so um, interested in the theology of United Methodism, the idea that um, to you need to bring your uh, doubt, your questioning, right? So it's like uh, the idea that reason is part of the conversation at the table um, is really attractional to folks who have been told for so long that pastors were the one that held the knowledge and then everyone listened to what the pastor said and that was that. And so we we've kind of engage the community in a way of saying like, hey, like in this space, we expect part of worship is to to question and bring in the reason and bring in your questions. And um, that's been a really unique thing for a lot of people in this area, because there are a lot of churches in this area, but most of them are um, incredibly uh, sort of based on pastor tells you what to, their interpretation of something you either like or don't like said pastor. 
and then you, you know, you use that. And so I think there is a generational thing that's happening where people who have Google on their phone and if they want to hear a good sermon, my gosh, there's like hundreds of sermons they can listen to being put out thousands um, per week. Right. So it's not a good sermon that's going to draw them in. And um, so it's a really interesting thing where I think it's a, a combination of they hear a theology or they hear something that's attractional to them. They come and check it out in person. And then the community is what really holds them into it. But it's interesting because yeah. I think United Methodism is uniquely poised to be really attractional and helpful to this generation. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because that we like I totally agree that we um we kind of bury the lead, I think, a lot of times when when we talk about the Methodist Church to other folks. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you said something in your talk. Um, uh, it was a, f- a phrase you quoted from a, a friend or a mentor um, where you said, um, uh, shoot, what is it? Um, uh, talk about, oh, who you are, um, who you aren't isn't interesting. Who you are is interesting. Correct. Or maybe I got that backwards. And, no, and that's um, like, that's yeah. the... That's the whole issue I have with a lot of United Methodist um, structures and conversations. It's like, well, we're not this and we don't, you know, we're, we're open, we're this, we're that, um, as an opposite of really defining who we are. Um, So it's like, well, we're not this, you know, I've, I've worked at many churches who, because of where we live they're they're, well, we're not a saddleback and we're not a, and it's like, okay, that's like, not that interesting, but tell me what makes you uniquely you, right? Yeah. Um, and I think every church has a unique story. Um, and I think that, and has a unique thing to offer to the community, you know? Uh, so what does that look like? And that's really the attractional thing. Yeah. So what, what to you is interesting? Um, you mentioned our, our kind of ability to have critical thinking, but what else is interesting to you about United Methodist Church? I think that it was never meant to be a church, that it was just always meant to be a movement. It was meant to be this like nimble thing that served those that were um, in some ways poor or disadvantaged and that they couldn't be, or they were like the working class folk who couldn't, you know, couldn't either afford the pew taxes that were involved in the early church um, or uh, just needed to have a different way of structure of worship. And I think that, you know, the small group jam, that was our jam that other people started doing, right? That mm-hmm. wasn't church, but we have lost that ability to be nimble because, again, like I was saying, your phone can give you great messages. Your phone can give you beautiful music. Your phone can do all the things that the worship service did at one point. So now we have to be about something more. Um, and I think that's where Methodism being structured in the idea of, like, actually being community making and um, asking the question of like, I love telling people that part of the question that um, began every class meeting was like, how is your heart? Where are you at? And in a culture and community when that isn't often asked, I think too, we're uniquely poised in that we, um, we really go for intergenerationalism, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, church growth is often taught us that you're supposed to know your audience and know your audience really, really well, and then gun just for that. And we're finding actually, no, like one of the things that um, our folks love is that they get to be in church with people who are the age of their parents or grandparents. And um, it's a it's a really unique thing that's happening um, for them because they've often gone to these churches that I call like a sexy church 
where everyone's 24 to 25. And, you know, from the only person that's older is the pastor, you know what I mean? And it's just yeah. this really attractive thing. But then you kind of realize at some point, like, huh, there, I'm, I'm missing out on community because we also live in communities now or we're so separated from our families of different generations that um, we're looking for community with people who are older than us. Or, you know, I, I don't have any grandparents left. And so having folks that are the same age as my grandparents would have been is a unique gift that I get to have in community. But it's a, it's a hard thing to do to um, minister to both the young and the old. It's a, it's a real challenge. Um, and I think it's, it's been a huge blessing in our community to have both, but it has taken a lot of work and it has been really difficult. And sometimes I've done really well at it and sometimes I've failed, but I feel like, um, it's worth it. Right. Yeah. Talk about, um, talk about one of those times you did really well. And one of the times, uh, you failed if, uh, if you don't yeah. mind that being public. Sure. Not at all. Um, so <laughs> I, I think one of the ways that um, God has used me with some of these older folks, I mean, you have to understand, they worked hard to keep their church around. Their church has been um, founded in 1912. The building was put up in 1927, I believe. Um, so you have to understand in California, like, this is like old. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, my grandmother, who was British, always said, you know, something was built in the 80s and the Americans put a plaque on it. But um, <laughs> it's even more so true in California. And so ours is kind of this really beautiful, like Mexican mission style church. And, and they really, you know, I don't know any church that's like, you know what I want to do? I want our church to close. But this church just couldn't figure out how to grow. And they had had um, pastors that were really focused on a lot of things, including like, um, great things, great things like the 12 step programs and stuff like that, but you really can't grow a church um, from the AA community or the NA community because they're not allowed to cross multiply. So I come in and my first Sunday, um, again, it was one of those things I'd just been on a, a pretty well-known podcast and I just, um, I just was getting ready to speak at a, a big festival in North Carolina. And I came into this church and my first Sunday, these people who had been worshiping in the dark, literally they had no electricity. And so they had decided to worship in their lobby of this beautiful 1927 stained glass window church because they thought they couldn't see if they were to be inside the sanctuary. Well, that wasn't the truth. They just needed to open the windows. So the first mm -hmm. Sunday um, we opened all the windows because I knew that some friends were going to come and some folks had spoken to me about wanting to be part of this community. And so I knew our first Sunday was going to be bigger than they'd seen in a while. And uh, our first Sunday, my first Sunday, there was 55 people there. And they were, um, you know, of all different kinds, right? A lot of diversity. And that was the first time this church has seen that sort of diversity in a while. Um, and so this woman who, you know, and, and, and part of me, part of my ego is like, oh, I, I hope that they're excited about this, right? Like I had a little bit of um, skin in the game that I was, you know, and this woman who um, sometimes doesn't phrase things the nicest, says to me, you know, a lot of us are worried. And this woman's been in the church for a while. She said, a lot of us are noticing and we're worried because we've noticed the growth. Several weeks had happened and a continued growth was happening. And she said, and all of these people are coming, but they're only coming because of you. And wow. I would call this a win because I don't know why God, the Holy Spirit, I don't know what happened, 
And I looked at her and I said, you know, that's a great point. Maybe they are coming because of me, but the truth is they're going to stay because of you. So today you have a choice. And I hope you make the choice to be welcoming and invitational. Because I think that would be amazing. Because this nice. church is really great. And, and that was one of those moments where um, she went out and shared that with other people. And I think that was kind of their biggest fear was like, oh, this pastor, people just really like her, which I don't really understand. But in that moment turned into like a problem. Like I felt bad about myself for that. <laughs> I was right. like, I shouldn't have people who want to be a part of my ministry, which is ridiculous. Like it was the only way to do a new start is yeah. to right attract people and um, get them excited about like what you're working on. Right. Yeah, so. exactly. exactly. Um, so that's what happened. Um, but I think one of my I've had a couple of losses. Um, I would say one of the things um, we were trying to figure out a way to decipher. We didn't want to say old, the old people, right? Because in general, the people who are more mature in years were uh, <laughs> were the people who had been there for a while, right? Yeah. So we decided we were going to call them legacy members. And the hope in that was very intentional. We wanted people to understand because the church had actually been voted on a conference level um, to, to be a new start and to close. And then that hadn't happened. So the church had been... Um, as we'd done a, a evaluation and we discovered that the church itself was what is known as within the legacy. So people who have a great story to share with people that will then actually do it because they had tried to do, they just don't have the capability of the folks that have been there for so long to do most things like trustee things, things that, you know, you, I've worked at churches where the things just get done. They just don't have the capability or the the stamina or the whatever to get it done. And so we decided to call them legacy members because there was a lot of issue around leadership and structure and what are we going to be and how, are we, and, and I'm in the process now of just like, all right, we're going to, we're going to figure out what our structure is going to look like. And it's going to look more nimble. It's going to look like a simple board governance because it's got to be more nimble for all these people that are coming in. We can't have, you know, sort of the same structure. Most United Methodist churches have been rolling with, even though, People think that's in the book of discipline, but it actually says that based on your mission, you can be structured in different ways. So right. I would say it was kind of a loss or a mistake in referring to them as the legacy community all the time because it created an us versus them. It worked for some of the folks. They felt really empowered by that story. They felt as if it was saying like, we now get to pass on the mantle, but for some, it was very offensive. They felt very othered by it. So I would say that was one of my one of my big losses and I'm still working on regaining the trust to some of those folks because they feel like, um, they are othered. So that was, that was one of my tough ones. I yeah. Think. And it, well, that makes me think of another part of your talk too, where you say, um, we are all pastors, mm -hmm. you know, do you kind of remember what you meant, meant by that? I think like whether or not we are defined by, having gone and formally trained to be a pastor, there's a gospel that each of us shares with other people, whether we know it or not, right? The gospel becomes part of who we are. And sometimes for the people that we encounter, our story, our gospel is sometimes the only gospel they'll ever get, right? So I don't think that's unique to me because I took three years to really in-depthly in study it. And since then have been building more and more and more. I feel like 
most of us, all of us, um, within the faith are pastors. Um, so yeah. And it's, I I, I just thought of that because you're kind of talking about like, how do we transcend age? Um, Mm -hmm. those us versus them, like, you know, yeah, we are all pastors. We are all disciples. We are all, um, we're, we're all responsible for, um, helping people find community here. So that's really cool. And that's kind of the thing that I want them to feel empowered by. And then what I've learned is if I point out those moments of greatness in that, because Mm. they are, (laughs) as my brother says, uh, they've worked really hard to get down to the size they were. Yeah. So there were some ways of welcoming the other and they still have some of those issues. Um, There are often Sundays when I have to say, this is, you know, I use the language of this is not what we are about. This is what we are about. So for instance, when uh, someone was upset one time about like, well, why are we uh, doing it this way? And I said, well, this is what we're about. We're about community and we're about um, people feeling known and appreciated. And uh, this one older gentleman felt like he needed to train our greeters how to greet. <laughs> now, they're young adults who are married. They're, you know, 25, I think. And um, they're super friendly. And we were really excited that they signed up to be greeters. They're just the most excited people. However, he was blocking them off from doing their job of greeting because he needed to instruct them how it was that they greet here. And what I told, I had to walk up and just say, hey, you know what? I feel like greeting is sort of an innate thing. I feel like they're going to do a great job. Why don't we let them do their job? And that's the thing is that there is so much story for these people that is just like held in their head that they don't know how to like, let go of that and let go of um, what they think the way that things should be done. And it's just a great reminder for me, right? Like, cause sometimes, like I said, I hear that voice in my head going, that's not how we do it. Um, and then I'm reminded that that's not, we are about being creative and trying new things. And I have staff members who really push me on that. And I get a little like, well, I just don't know. And then they go, why? And I go, I don't have an answer for that. It makes me uncomfortable. And then it takes me a minute and then I go, okay, let's try it. You know, um, it's just an example of, uh, we hired this, we have a wonderful creative arts director who came from Maryland. He'd heard me speak at the Wild Goose Festival and uh, he just couldn't do church the way that he had been doing church for so long. And he was really interested in this thing I was trying to build. And early on, he like he and I would have these conversations on the phone for hours about what I was trying to do. And he was like, you know, as I hear you speaking about what you're trying to do with a creative program, I want to come out and be a part of it. And he's just like way overqualified human. Like he can play any instrument. We just have him like literally for 20 hours a week. And he is just killing it. Like he's got our choir. He's got everything going really, really well. Young guy, like super talented. And he constantly, you know, as an example, would be like, Sarah, we need a new sound system for what we're doing, what we're creating here. I mean, we had like a saxophone player this week, like just incredible music happening. He's like, our sound system is really bad. And my instinct was to get my um, backup and go like, wait a minute, you can't, (laughs) you can't, we don't have the money for that. And he was like, Sarah, I'm going to look for grants. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's coming up with all these creative ways of funding our program. 
And if I get in the way of that, which sometimes I do, right? I'm like, well, right. we don't have budget, budget, budget. Because I'm afraid, right? I'm in, I'm in a posture of fear and he's in a posture of like anything is possible. And I just need to let them run and need to go, okay, you know what? You write every grant you can write and you come up with all these different ways of doing things. And I have to let him do that. And it's, um, it's a good lesson for me that sometimes the shoe is on the other foot. Yeah. Amen. Um, before I let you go, um, you have something exciting, uh, coming out next, next month. You wrote a book. I did write a book. It's called, what's your story? Seeing your life through God's eyes. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? You got it right. Cool. It's because I wrote it down. Yay. Uh, um, uh, for just a, a moment, uh, tell us uh, uh, what's it about? Uh, uh, why are you excited about it? And uh, how can sure. uh, we use it in the church? Absolutely. So it is, um, the book itself is broken into like a journal format. So it has like, it, it kind of goes through the idea of an act. So it's almost broken up like a play would be broken up or um, a, a good book or a movie. So it has four acts or four movements that kind of help people um, learn their own story and also um, hear the story of scripture and then also um, get a chance to answer some questions about who they are. And so for me, I'm really, really passionate, as you can tell, even by my talk of so long ago, that hasn't changed. I'm really passionate about people knowing their own story because I think the power of transformation is in narrative. And I think we know that because scripture is story. And so um, I went to a conference one time called Storyline, and this was years ago. And they talked about um, the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, you know, from the book of Genesis, even though it's not actually a Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's how most people remember it. But right. um, he, uh, his story, they just quickly mentioned it as a story that follows a really good story arc. And everyone else spent forever, like, mapping out their own journey and story. I spent like a good amount of time just looking at the Joseph story and realizing that so often we tell a really crap story about Christianity or our faith and that we say like, once you meet Jesus, everything gets better, you know, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, and so stories, stories that are really profound and unique are um, the stories that have the struggle, right? Nobody wants to hear a story about someone who got everything they wanted because none of us actually have that story. And it's um, really powerful to me that the toughest times in my life, the moments when I wanted to give up, when everything seemed wrong, something out of that has been the next thing I needed. Um, and so that's the power of story. And I, I look at Joseph Campbell, who uh, is a story theorist, and he talked a lot about every hero has a journey. And so we use the hero's journey in this, a hero has a thousand faces, kind of the idea of your story really matters. And so there's video curriculum that goes along with it. And I'm excited. Uh, my friend, Mike McCurg, a guy known as, known as Science Mike, tells his story um, for the first act. Uh, another friend of mine who had a heart transplant tells his story. A good friend of mine who had breast cancer, she tells her story. Um, good friend of mine, Dan Davidson, who's a um, free Methodist pastor, he tells the story of being this like super hip pastor that everyone kind of looked up to. And it was true. We just thought he had his whole life, you know, together. And he discovers his wife has been cheating on him and he loses his mm. 
he loses his job um, because some of the way that she was narrating the story made him kind of sound like a bad guy. So he lost his job, his home, because his wife and him obviously couldn't live together. His wife, and then him and I were having breakfast. And he said, well, at least I still have my health. And uh, right as the divorce papers were being served, he was crossing a street and a drunk driver hit him. Oh, my goodness. And so he lost everything. And so he tells us this incredibly powerful story about um, kind of walking back up the mountain and the vision that God has given him from that. And he now has this really cool ministry where he works with people um, who have gone through a lot. So it's this really beautiful thing. Like he had to lose it all to gain it all. Yeah. Um, and then uh, as a act, uh, so that's the four acts. And then we have a bonus where um, my friends who are Michael and Lisa Gungor, who are in a band called the Gungors, um, they share their story um, about being this super popular thing that wasn't real and they didn't create it other people created this pedestal and put them on it but it wasn't until they got real honest and really real with their story that they found their platform and who they are called to be with and that's the spiritual nomad the person who feels like they don't fit in so um michael's and lisa's ministry in some ways now is to people who feel so un um unaccepted by the church and so it's just this like really powerful story. They do such a great job. So that's the video that goes along with each of the acts that people will be asked to work through. And the whole goal is for people to just sort of be aware of looking at their overall arc of their story and go, hey, like there's so much where I'm being called or I'm being kind of, we call it the call to adventure. I'm being asked to step into something more. So that's kind of my, my deal with my ministry is I really feel that I've been called in whatever form to help people really become who they actually are, who God created them to be, um, and then live into that. So yeah, that's the, that's the book. And you can get a leader guide and you can get the video. And we actually have a book launch party next week here in California. And I'm really excited, but I Excellent. also don't really know what a book launch is. So I got to like, right. that. I have no I've, idea what happened. I wrote a book and I'm still, I mean, it's out, but I, I still don't know how to launch it. So mm -hmm. I do, I, I, I guess I take it outside and I throw it in. I don't know. I don't, um, I mean, my yeah. mom's got a copy. I mean, I yeah. actually don't even have a copy of my own book, um, right. but it's, it's been fun though. I have friends who work at the Abington publishing house and they've been like, taking selfies with my book because they think it's funny that I don't have a copy yet. Right. Yeah. Actually, I'm trying to think, I don't, I think I gave away all my copies of your book. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say you haven't. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's well, yeah, everyone has a copy, but you, Sarah, everyone, so, but you, yeah. Sarah, yeah. you know, it's funny though. It's, it's a really exciting thing for me in that, um, as I've been processing my own story, which has a lot of difficult turns in it, um, just the, the healing that you receive from, uh, being honest and open with your story with others. Right. So, um, yeah. and the power of that. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing as a huge movement from Brene Brown to Elizabeth Gilbert to folks just are so, um, you kind of aching for truth and truth in the authenticity of the leader. And I would say, you know, just to circle back for a second to what we were talking about before pastors for so long have been asked to lie. Mm. And, and have this pastoral identity, which is, yeah, like we obviously need to have some, we don't need to work our junk out on a Sunday morning, but we also are people. And I was trained that being a person is a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not true. It's an asset. Um, and so I'm trying to lead in a different way. And my team 
is phenomenal. And they have been so great at being like, we just really like love how you're with us in this. And it's kind of, we're on this like crazy train together and um, it feels life-giving. And I don't think I could do another church any other way, but to be around people who are excited to try something new and then um, also just be present to what was the old and blending it with the new. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Um, uh, real quick, uh, what, when does the book come out? It comes out, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to Amazon it. I think April 17th. All right. And that's where folks can get it, Amazon or Abington or both or ev- everywhere? Um, is uh, on Cokesbury <laughs> because um, it it uh, is a little cheaper on Cokesbury, but you can get it on Amazon too, especially if you're an Amazon Prime member. Nice. Um, yeah, so it comes out April 18th. It was a day off. So it's a Tuesday. It's, it's tax day. So you can get my book and it on tax day, but you can already pre-order it both on Amazon and on Cokesbury. So it's out Perfect. there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Congratulations on um, the the project uh, you've undertaken there in in Costa Thanks. Mesa. Um, yeah. I had a chance to to visit you a few months ago there, and uh, I could already kind of sense the the change happening and and the excitement happening there. But it was so fun to have you there too, just to yeah. have someone who knows as a as a entrepreneurial church type to know all that it takes to do that. It was fun to have you there. Yeah. And you guys were making your own honey in your inside the building beehive. We do. And they're back just so you know, they've been gone for like, I don't know, forever. And then now they're back. Oh, excellent. Months of being gone. So we will be making organic free range honey. I think we that's actually, just a great way to get that sound system. You're going to, you're going to sell some honey. You know, actually, you know what we are going to do <laughs> is we're going to be used as a film set. Oh, Perfect. And that makes us a little bit of money. And then we're also going to be a wedding venue, um, which is really fun. We're going to be partnering with my co-working space, we think. Um, and they are going to do, they're going to treat our space like a venue, um, which will be really great just to get people in there. Like I said, it's beautiful. So it'll cool. be fun to have other people experience what we've experienced for so long is just the awe of this building. Yeah, it really is a beautiful and, and well-located uh, space. Oh, it's amazing. Well, I'm so Sarah, glad we to chat. yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really glad. Um, and again, just excited uh, for everything you're doing. And um, folks can pre-order that book and they can come visit you in Costa Mesa at First Please UMC see. Costa Mesa. And if you want to read more about Sarah Heath, I believe it's RevSarahHeath.com. That's me. Ah, nailed it. I'm winning today. It's excellent. You are winning. Yeah. Don't get tired of winning. Apparently, nope. we're going to get tired of it. Don't get tired <laughs> yeah. of it. Uh, it's just, it's so exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, well, friend, thank you uh, for joining us and uh, look so forward welcome. to talking to you again soon. All right. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye.